hppodcraft.com. Happy Space Monster Month here on HP Podcraft, Strange Studies of Strange Stories. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Chad Pfeiffer. This month we thought, hey, let's do some weird conceptual space monster movie for a bonus episode. And it was kind of difficult to come up with something at first. Annihilation and Arrival, I thought were both really good, more conceptual mm-hmm alien movies from recent years, but we have talked about them a lot. Yeah. And obviously we talked a lot about Alien this month and other months. We talked about Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> yeah, that was an outside choice. Another one I think <laughs> we've probably talked about quite quite a bit. It was tougher than I thought because there are a lot of science fiction monster movies, but they're more like traditional slashers, really. I mean, there's not, you know, they're not conceptual that much. The flavor of the monster in the house is outer space. That's just really what it is. We talked about Forbidden Planet, but Rachel and I covered that on our show already, so I felt like that was retreading old ground, for me at least. Yeah, also an embarrassing moment for me. Hey, why don't we cover Forbidden Planet? Yeah, I I did that already, Chad. (laughs) It was bonus content on the show, so unless you're a high-level subscriber, which I know you're not, cheapskate. Oh, man. It just gets worse. We figured we were going to go with something different. Yeah, well, you suggested the Atomic Age thing, which was smart. Those are science fiction monsters, but obviously it's about more. Yeah. So I suggested them, exclamation point, the original giant ant movie. I don't remember. Wait, did you say, but you'd seen it before, right? No, I've never seen it. I knew all about it because it's always on the TV and other movies. People are watching it, late night horror films. Oh, you're right. It is, isn't it? The crappy giant ants are pretty iconic, but I've never actually saw the movie. So I thought, you know, maybe this is the time to do that. I saw it on TV when I was a kid and I loved it. And it was great that you suggested this because I've been thinking about the Atomic Age stuff a lot because of the new Godzilla King Kong movie, which just came out. It's crazy that a major Hollywood film or series of films, they're doing Hollow Earth stuff. There's Hollow Earth stuff in those. Yeah, that's the basis of the whole thing. These monsters come out of the Hollow Earth. As long as we're playing nice, they won't bother us. But every once in a while, they come up and There's a whole pecking order. I won't get into it. We can't cover that because Godzilla and Kong are still alive. So can't do that on the show. Let's get back to where all this monstrosity started in the 50s. Yes, Them! Exclamation point is a 1954 film from Warner Brothers. It was produced by David Weisbart, who produced the Brando version of Streetcar Named Desire and some Elvis movies. It was directed by Gordon Douglas, who's done so many films, over 50 movies, which I never heard of any one of them. He's prolific, the guy that directed this thing. Right. It stars James Whitmore, who played the old guy in the library in Shawshank Redemption. You remember yeah. who gets out of prison and then oh. he can't fit back in and he hangs himself? That's... Yeah, Red was here. So heartbreaking. Yes. Red, that's his name. Yeah, I didn't recognize. Well, I recognized that I knew him while I was what? watching it. But I just let that pre-internet itch go in the back of my head. I didn't look it up. So I didn't know that's who he was till I saw it in the notes here. I didn't either. I had to look it up and I was, when I was doing notes, I was like, let me see who these people are and if any of them are famous. Except there was one person I saw in the movie. I go, wait a minute, is that who I, and I had to immediately stop the film and go look, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> we'll get to that. In the meantime, while I was watching him, I wonder if you were thinking the same thing as me. I was like, is that, is that Lloyd Bridges? Is it Punky Brewster's dad? (laughs) It's one of those guys. Guess I'll never know. But thanks for solving that. It also stars Edmund Gwen, who played Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th Street. No beard here, though. It was, again, he was familiar, but I couldn't figure out who he was because he 
played a very different character and yeah. he didn't have a beard, so he tricked me. Or presence. And James Arness from Gunsmoke. And he was also in The Thing from Another World. He's right. a pretty big actor. A lot of people. Yeah. I think he's one of the bigger actors in this movie. They're all pretty good. Santa Claus is really good in this. I liked him a lot. He's really good, yeah. In case you somehow missed this movie, this is the first atomic age horror film, and it's about giant ants. Twelve. <laughs> yes. To eight foot long giant ants. And they can't do much with the actual giant ants in 1954 because they're just sort of big articulated puppets. But I do like yeah. looking at them. You know, they're, they're neat. Yeah. It was interesting that you brought this up. This, the date of the film is the same year as Gojira, the Japanese movie, Godzilla. I'm not saying that to be pretentious. There's an American version of that that's recut with Raymond Burr right. in it. The original movie, Gojira, the Japanese one. I went back and watched it recently. I was really gripped by it. And it is a legitimately good movie, which surprised me a little bit. I just didn't remember that the human scenes are actually neat. These Atomic Age films are obviously a reaction to the horrors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. I mean, you really palpably feel them taking a big step back and going, what did we just do? You know, that yeah. it's so mm. laced into this stuff. But obviously looking at a Japanese film versus an American film, you can see, you know, in, in Gojira, I was really struck by the anger of the government, uh, anger at the government in that movie versus the U.S., which is very in line with, you know, the G-men are all good guys and right. the military is a, a force for good. In Godzilla, there's a scene that's so current where there's a political forum and there are people arguing about whether to even let people know that there's a giant monster because it, it strikes an island first, you know? Yeah. The women in this scene are really realistically furious that the capitalistic kind of men want to hide Godzilla from the population. They're like, these right. people have a right to know. You know, we don't want to cause a panic either. You guys are the mayor from Jaws. You're saying, let's not mess with the money. <laughs> we got a Godzilla festival coming up. I don't remember what their justification is, but it, it's about we don't want to mess up shipping or whatever. I feel like that's what happened with the pandemic in, well, at least in the UK. When everything hit, the UK government was like, well, we're, we're just going to have herd immunity because that's going to be the best. We want to keep everything open. We want to keep businesses going. We want to do all yeah. that stuff. And other countries like New Zealand, they were like, nope, lock everything down. If we do it now, immediately, we'll be better in the long run. And they were mm -hmm. totally right. And if you watch Godzilla in that context, the current day, it's almost chilling that those conversations absolutely definitely happened mm -hmm. last year. Because this is a movie from a country that was hit by those bombs. There's a scene later on a train where there's this teenage girl and she's reading about Godzilla coming. We say a lot that these things are proxies for atomic power, but in the reality of that movie, they had just been hit by bombs. They reference it, you know? And she yeah. says, oh man, first there's those bombs because they're all on the train casually talking about, well, where are you going to evacuate to? They're mm -hmm. not really freaked out by Godzilla. Like, I got stuff to do. I don't know. I don't even think I'm going to evacuate. You know, I'm just going to take my chances. <laughs> wow, these are such relatable conversations. Yeah. And I don't know how, many, how much of that made it into the American version. Maybe it's there. Check it out, folks. It's on HBO. In, in, now, in this movie, Them, going in, I thought, okay, I bet this is going to be a lot more about blowback rather than disaster management. Movie like this now, it's sort of like post 9-11, suddenly in superhero movies, they were having reverence for the dead. The experience the country goes through really bleeds into these monster movies. Um, and, but right here, it's like, we're the ones who just did it. So you're backing away and going, guys, there might be negative consequences to this. I'm not sure, sure. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Due to their small size, ants don't have the room to accommodate a complex respiratory system such as ours. Ants breathe in oxygen through spiracles, which are a series of holes located on the sides of their bodies. These spiracles are connected through a network of tubes which help distribute the oxygen to almost every cell in their body. An ant's movement helps the oxygen to circulate through the tubes, with the released carbon dioxide exiting through said tubes as well. 
That's actually referenced in the movie. Yes. When they're talking about drowning the ants, he says, well, they breathe out of their sides. That might be a problem. But I didn't know that. Bugs are very weird. There's so much there to explore. I've read so much about ants, and some ants can actually swim, and some ants can hold their breath. So they're able to close those little tube things. There's hundreds, hundreds, if not thousands, of different species of ants. So... There's yeah. a lot of diversity even within ants. Now, we did a story called Lion Engine versus the Ants. That's right. So if you're having a ground do- Groundhog Day experience here, we, we have talked about a lot of this stuff before. Mm-hmm. In particular, there, they were building rafts and getting across the water. Right. So I think we probably talked about the, the lung stuff. There was also something about that that makes me laugh, though, where they go, do you know that ants don't have lungs? They have a series of tubes with which they breathe. That's just lungs. Why don't you say they don't have human <laughs> lungs? Well, our lungs work in a very different, because we have a diaphragm that pushes air in and out of our lungs, where ants don't mm. have any of that jazz. I, ants also don't have jazz that we know of yet. That we know of. <laughs> I did like the opening credits of it, speaking of that title. It was really neat because they put them all over a still shot of the desert, but it was a still shot of the opening shot. So when the last credit came up, it faded, and then the plane came flying right in, and that was a nice... I thought that was a really nice transition. So it begins in New Mexico out in the desert. Some police are driving around with an airplane flying overhead. There was a report of a little girl seen out in the desert, so the police are trying to find her. The plane spots her and they and tells the police where to, to get her. One of the cops, Ben Peterson, is James Whitmore. Uh, he's mm-hmm. one of the leads of the movie. A girl with a, holding a cracked doll wandering around in the desert. Just an excellent opening hook for any kind of movie you're making. And oh, right yeah. away, what is going on? And it also immediately puts you on a protective stance. Right away, mm-hmm. uh, well, whatever's going on, I don't like it because this kid got hurt. And that is a very smart filmmaking. And the girl is catatonic and she doesn't respond to anything. Like He waves his hand in front of her face, but she doesn't respond at all. So they find these footprints. This caravan has been the side ripped out of it. There's blood. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously nobody else, there's no bodies anywhere. So they're like, what the hell's going on? Sergeant Peterson calls for forensics and the ambulance to take the little girl into the hospital. The ambulance driver, you know, it's weird when they do all the credits in the front on the title cards, Mm -hmm. because it means that most of the people in the movie are uncredited. Ambulance driver looked familiar. I was too lazy to look at the time. This morning I looked it up and I was glad I did. It's William Schallert, who is Mm -hmm. in everything. He just passed away in 2016. He appeared in Star Trek The Trouble with Tribbles episode. He was the the guy that was a Klingon that was made to look like a human, I believe. That's probably actually where I recognize him from. While they're investigating, they hear a high-pitched sound, which is kind of your generic insect noise, the kind of kind of sound. Uh, And they don't notice, but the girl reacts to this. This is the first time that she actually is responding to anything. But when it stops, she goes back to her catatonia. Did you know that ants don't have ears? What? Ants use vibrations to hear, using them when foraging for food or as an alarm signal. Ants use the vibrations in the ground to hear by picking them up in the subgenual organ, which is located below the knee. Well, if they use the subgenual organ to pick up vibrations, that kind of sounds like an ear to me. Once again, I think they're saying they don't have (laughs) human ears, which I I noticed by looking at ants. You know, ants also throw up in each other's mouths. (laughs) They do. That's the kind of straight talk I was looking for. Thanks, Doc. (laughs) To communicate with one another, they have two stomachs, and one stomach has got food for them to eat, but the other stomach has got food that they use to share with other ants, but it also helps them identify one another. So they they throw up in each other's mouths, like, kind of to say hello. Yeah. Oh, chickpeas. I know who this is. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they do make noise. It's called it's called stridulation. It's by rubbing parts of their abdomen together, and they use that to tell each other where food is and if help is needed. They also use pheromones to communicate. That's what their antenna is for. Their antenna picks up the pheromones that are laid down. They are sophisticated animals for the simplicity of the creature. They're kind of better than humans in terms of construction. <laughs> You never hear about an appendix getting removed from an ant. You're right, though, because ants have been around for <laughs> hundreds of millions of years for a really long time. And they, mm -hmm. they've been around that long because they work. There's been little to no evolution on them because they just are really efficient. In a way, you're right. Humans have only been around for, what, 100,000 years? Sound, I mean, the context of that conversation should have been me, like I'm a teenager on my bed and you're like the, the you know, a befuddled dad sitting next to me. The reason that ants have been around for so long is because they work, buddy. Now, I'm not saying you have to have a career job, but you know, they're hiring bag boys down at the supermarket. If it's good enough for an ant, in so many ways, they're better than us. I, I do like this, uh, small town characters figuring stuff out way into mm -hmm. a big disaster epic or monster movie. This yeah. template they set up here, where it's a small town detective kind of thing that's gonna blow up into something larger. Yeah, I like that better than there's a lot of disaster movies where it's people in rooms with computer screens going. I think that there's a, you know, a mass over Atlanta, you know, it just gets boring. It Tremors does. is similar to this. A lot of DNA in Tremors is right here, especially the, the lady doctor. <laughs> All right, thing. yeah. Now the cops decide to go to the general store to see if Gramps knows anything about these people, because that's, if these people are camping, they probably would go to the general store. But when they get to the general store, store it's also missing a wall totally wrecked and they find gramps is dead skilled writing to call him gramps too because as funny of a nickname as that is if you called him tim or something i'd go well tim's dead but i didn't really know him gramps is dead i was <laughs> mad at these ants right away <laughs> you got gramps just tells you a lot about him as they're checking the general store also i noticed there's a radio report in the background playing and it's about a scientist dr adolf rancelier in geneva there's nothing to do with the plot but uh -huh. it says he's gonna make this speech and brag about all the diseases he's wiped out oh. and my ears like perked up to it i might not have noticed normally but but they're planting that in there. It's right before the catalyst moment. It's right at minute 12, right before they find Gramps' dead body to show that these ants are murdering people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he bragged about science and then Gramps was dead. It happens oh, within see. the space of a minute. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And then they go into, well, what do you make of this? So Sergeant Peterson, has to, he leaves the younger cop there while he goes to get help. And after he leaves, the younger cop hears a noise and then you see him opening fire, but you don't see what he's shooting at. And you get the Wilhelm scream, which is all over this movie. They use it so much. Yeah, the sound designer is riding it like a wah-wah pedal. It just <laughs> pops up over and over. But it was new, you know, it was only in 52 sure. it was in a movie. And uh, this is, yeah. it had just entered the Warner Brothers Sound Library, labeled as man-eaten by alligator or crocodile. Because it was from some uh, jungle film. And it's, I think they think it's the purple people eater singer is the one who does it. Oh, that actor. He was on the schedule that day for the loop group, so it's probably him. Now, the next day, we're at the station. They know the cop is now missing, and Peterson is beating himself over, over leaving the guy on his own. There's that great stoicism from this period where Red's partner was just killed, and the captain's like, hey, it's nobody's fault. He says, so come off it. <laughs> There's Jeez. a lot of that in this movie. People are not very empathetic. Like when um, they find the girl, and then the ambulance takes her away, they kind of go, uh, poor kid. And he goes, yep, yeah, rough. And then they just kind of move, go on with their business. <laughs> like, her family's probably dead, and she has suffered such a trauma that she is catatonic. And she's, like, you know, six years old, for crying out loud. And they're just like, yeah, tough break. It's post-war, man. It's a tough war. <laughs> the coroner comes back and says Gramps had broken ribs and limbs and a fracture in a skull, but also 
a huge amount of formic acid in his body, which is ant venom. And there's an Ogden Nash poem called The Ant that I'm positive I've read on the show before, but it says the ant has made himself illustrious through constant industry industrious, to your point earlier. Mm-hmm. Then Ogden Nash says, so what? Would you be calm and placid if you were full of formic acid? <laughs> the doll with that cracked skull, by the way, is in the center of the block and throughout the cop and FBI discussion scenes. It's great framing. Right, yeah. I just noticed mm-hmm. it this time. And there was also a funny uh, Law & Order line. They find out that this girl's father was an FBI agent who was on vacation with his family. So they were out there and they got killed by these ants. And the captain says, well, call the, call the FBI office and tell them it looks like the agent's vacation has been extended indefinitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Total Jerry Orbach, like, law and order out. I mean, they're talking about a colleague. Some dude has just been murdered and his little kid suffered severe trauma. Yeah, it's crazy. So the FBI sends Special Agent Robert Graham. They have a casting of the strange footprint that they found. And so the FBI agent sends it to headquarters to see if they could make heads or tails of it. And what they do in response is they send Dr. Harold Medford and his daughter, Dr. Pat Medford, to continue the investigation. So they've been put in charge by the head office. Dr. H. Medford thinks that he knows what's going on, but he's not going to say until he's sure, which I thought was really lame. Like he Agreed. keeps everybody in the dark because secrecy is really important. But come on, mm-hmm. you got to let people know. Also, they might be able to help if they know what they're looking for, but he just keeps them totally in the dark for the next 15 minutes of the movie while he's doing his investigation. But he takes some formic acid and goes to visit the little girl. He puts it under her nose and it causes her to snap out of her catatonia and she just starts screaming, them, them. To your point, I think when she does that in reaction to the formic acid, it confirms what is his theory that these are ants. But when she does that, they all get up and immediately leave without waiting to see what she says. Up till then, they've been going, we need to wake up that girl to find out the nature of the problem. But as soon as she flips out, they go, bye. <laughs> I'm left thinking the doctor's goal was just to hear a little girl scream. <laughs> because he seemed quite satisfied with moving on after that. Now, he asks about nuclear test sites and where they are in relation to the incidents. And of course, there's one that's very close. They go back to the campsite to look for more clues, and it starts to sand, it's, uh, during a sandstorm, so they have to wear these little goggles, which I thought were neat. Yeah, I hope in the next pandemic we all have to wear little goggles instead of masks. Kind of cute. <laughs> There's a great conversation there, too, where the doctor says to Sergeant Shawshank, he goes, has there been any report of a strange mound, a cone-shaped structure, something recently formed? <laughs> and uh, the sergeant goes, no, sir. I mean, like, it's just the weirdest. That's not a yes or no question. That's a what are you talking about question? Because he he hasn't told him about the ants at all yet. He just knocks that out casually. The FBI agent totally there to represent the 1950s. He's got that danger field line. Hey, if this lady's a doctor, I might catch the flu. It was cool when she goes, not in correction to that, but she says, "My, my father's a myrmecologist. And he doesn't know what that is. And it leads to the most revealing line of the film. And he goes, you see, that's what I mean. Why don't we all talk English? Then there'd be some basis for an understanding. It just says everything about the attitude of that time, you know. Now, I could try to understand by learning what you're talking about, but that's hard. And I already know a few words. <laughs> so Dr. Pat is surprised on the scene by a giant ant. Oh, no, we finally see it. The animatronic. And by, that's in parentheses. You can't see my air quotes when I say animatronic. It's, it's just a big puppet. Dr. Harold tells the guys with the guns to shoot it in the antenna. And then Sergeant Peterson, he goes to the car and he gets a freaking machine gun and finally finishes the thing off. They probably would have made that ant more aggressive if they had the means or a Harryhausen kind of attack ant puppet. But yeah. as it is, this thing pops out, scares the doctor. Then while it's up there on the hill screaming what might be an apology, they shoot it dead. <laughs> 
And the reason they have time to figure out that the antenna is its weakness is because it's not doing anything but screaming. I kept thinking about if this movie was made now and they had some big CGI ants, they would be truly horrific. I would be freaked out by them. I don't even talk about it. Dr. Harold tells the government to search for a hole uh, for the nest of the ants. And then, of course, they find one. The ants stand during the day because they don't like the heat and they come out at night. The plan is to drop cyanide bombs down the hole and then go in and investigate afterwards. The best shot in the movie is when they find the entrance to the ant hill and there's a giant ant on top of it with a rib cage, a human rib cage up in his grill, just (laughs) tossing it around. This is what we do down here, boys. So I think they heard my reaction to that screaming ant massacre and say, look, look, these guys are mean. These ants, they're not nice ants. So they find the entrance, they firebomb the area around the hole so the ants don't come out, and then they drop cyanide down there. I was making notes while I was watching it. I wrote, that's a pretty credible plan to kill off the ants. While they execute, I'm going to see if I can come up with a better one. Then there's nothing. It just says dogs. (laughs) I don't know what my plan was. When I looked at that this morning, I go, I probably had a better idea. (laughs) But all I wrote down was dogs. I don't know how that would work. That's one thing about this movie. I'm pretty into is I feel like their plans and their ideas are, are solid. You know, there's, there's yeah. I don't do much eye rolling at the sci-fi stuff in here. It's, it no. seems pretty credible, <laughs> credible. I agree. After time passes, they go down and they find that two new queens have hatched out of eggs, but they're not there. They've escaped before the attack. So that means there are two potential nests out there because the way ants reproduce is the the new queens, when they're born, a fertile male is also born with wings and then they leave and they start a new colony. And these work similarly. So the doctor is able to say, look, two queens hatched and they're gone. So that means we've got two more nests out there. We've got to find them. The doctor also says a lot of things like, we don't know for sure. And this might be different than what we expect. A lot of things that aren't coming out of the mouths of our other protagonists this month. He's very (laughs) careful to say, I might not be right. We just have to see. Uh, It's great when they attack the hive because he makes all sorts of, well... They can just burrow out somewhere else if we stop it up and there's this yeah. that we have to be concerned about and blah, blah, blah. It's great. And also yeah. the ants are totally rocking the smoke machines down there, which I knew they would be. Uh, <laughs> the thing that really troubled me when they went down into the ant tunnels, though, is that there was a cask of a Maniato ant down there that broke out of his wall finally and they immediately oh, right. burned him alive. <laughs> I mean, think of the triumph. The ant was finally like, free! And they were like, oh no, sucker. <laughs> Yeah, they use some a lot of flamethrower. Dude, I love the flamethrower stuff in this movie. I do too. I was thinking about that later because I hate guns in movies. They're so boring. I hate it when I have to watch 10 minutes of people shooting. Oh. If you're John Woo, maybe you can do a thing where they jump around or something. But in general, it's just noise and stupid. Give me flamethrowers, man. That's fun to look at. They burn a lot of these fake ants. Because, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of flamethrower action in here. It's pretty cool. Side note, did you know that an ant is the fastest animal on Earth? <laughs> well, in a way. The trap jaw ant closes its jaw at 140 miles per hour. Oh, God. When I'm trying to shake shredded cheddar cheese out of a bag, I think I get close to that jaw <laughs> trap shutting. You ever do that? Uh, I'm just hungry. I'm going to shake some of this cheddar cheese into my mouth. <laughs> Falls all over the place. <laughs> Did I just open a window into a personal sadness? This is a great midpoint because, you know, we've dealt with the problem, but it's way worse than we thought. Mm -hmm. You know, these things can travel fast. A couple of them got out. What seemed like a victory just revealed the larger menace. Mm -hmm. In my recollections of this movie, this is where I depart from what's actually in it. Because in the second half, in my brain, I thought they went up in like biplanes and stuff. I don't know why they were biplanes. 
and <laughs> we're fighting these ants. Yeah, I'm only realizing that now, but they were fighting these ants in the in the sky that were flying, and that that never happened. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. They go to Washington, but they're trying to keep the whole thing under wraps because, of course, they don't want a panic. That old yeah chestnut. That's that context because these these are the parallel scenes in Godzilla. <laughs> they don't have any women around to tell them they're not being very smart by not sharing information. <laughs> right, which right. will because it is the women in that movie who are like, "You guys are nuts." They set up a news bureau to collect any information that might help them track the ants. Again, mm-hmm. don't give anybody clear direction on what exactly they're looking for which might help them weed out loonies because the board on the wall in the room, I took a a screenshot, it says, monitor all news for one, kidnappings, missing persons, two, unsolved murders, three, (laughs) alleged suicides, four, migrations of wildlife, five, thefts of sugar, syrups, sweets, six, strange phenomena as flying saucers, strange odors, high-pitched sounds, unnatural things alive or dead. (laughs) What? And everybody that works there, that is their direction on the wall. Report yeah. those things. Be like, well, okay. Yeah, Somebody sure. farted in Texas. I don't know what the parameters are about here. <laughs> that is a strange odor that falls under number six. So the scene where they're in this office, one of the desk sergeants comes up and has a conversation with a, a lady there. And it's a wide, kind of wide medium shot. And you don't get a good look at the dude. But then for a split second, I go, wait a minute. I think I recognize that guy but I don't remember him being in this movie. And then I'm going, I paused it, looked it up, Leonard Nimoy. It was him, uncredited. I didn't notice it was him. I knew he was in the movie and then I forgot all about it, but. Oh, I didn't. Ah, that was Leonard Nimoy. It's a really short scene. He doesn't even get a close up. It's just that medium shot of him and the lady talking together, so. Well, he also is clearly not ready for prime time because he says, yeah, it's real TS stuff, top secret. (laughs) We kind of blew the lid off of that immediately, didn't you? He used the initials (laughs) TS. And then immediately explain their secret meaning. (laughs) Nimoy, you got to go study some more. I will say that Santa Claus is an excellent pitch man, though, because the section where he presented all of the ants' advantages, much like Mm. you've been doing, was, it scared the heck out of me, actually. Oh, yeah. He was saying, like, look, if we don't nip this in the bud, they can take over the planet. Mm -hmm. We find out that there's a pilot who is locked in a mental institution, claims to have seen a UFO, so they go down and talk to him. But when they find out he actually saw was, in fact, a queen ant flying. They decide to keep the poor guy locked up because they don't want word getting out. It's such cold <laughs> lunch, man. He goes, yeah, just leave him in there, even after they told him that what he was delusional about was was true. That guy in that scene, actually, though, some executives came to watch this film, I think thinking about the FBI guy for Davy Crockett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then thought, oh, screw him. Who was this guy in the asylum? He was great. And yeah. this got him that job, Davy Crockett. And he became mm-hmm. a huge celebrity in the, in of the 50s. Course. My dad had a Davy Crockett hat when he was a kid. So this was the movie that launched that whole thing. That guy's whole career came out of this one scene. And he's good in it. Uh, then we have a, a ship in the Pacific that is overrun by ants. It seems one of the queens got on board when they were in port and she made a nest in the hole. The eggs hatched and the ants attacked the people on the ship. Some of the men got away, but most were killed. Then the Navy says, well, easy peasy. We're just going to sink the whole ship. And they do, killing one of the queens. So one queen down. And a lot of people in the ship because they could have let them know that queen ants were flying around. And to be at the ready, even if they didn't know it was going to be in that area because they might need the military because these things might destroy the planet. You know, that was the consequence of them. The people on that ship were on shore leave in Acapulco and the boat was wide open. And that's why the ants got on board without them knowing (laughs) Yeah. Defenses weren't up because they weren't told to defend. They then get a report in Los Angeles that a train with tons of sugar on it has been broken into. 
There's been a sugar theft, is what they say, which was really funny <laughs> phrasing. It's not really stealing it. The ants aren't like, this isn't my sugar, but you know what? I'm so hungry. I'm going to, I just have to do this. <laughs> they also find a, a man's mutilated body and his two sons that were with him are missing. His wife is crying her eyes out. The kids are probably dead. This really bumped me out. I felt this was actually horrific. Like this was a real horror film moment that I was like, oh God, this yeah. woman and her poor kids. And we also found out in the beginning too, that little girl, she had two brothers that yeah. were, were killed as well. And it's like, oh my God, it's terrible. Yeah, the the gravity in this movie for it being a giant ant film, th these things became very self-referential and self-parodying almost as they went on. And this, because it's early in the form, they're taking it really seriously and that makes it such oh, a yeah. better movie. And I was, I had a, issue with it because I felt like once you've, you know, let the ants out of the bag, you can't really go back and turn it into a detective plot again, which is what right. they do in the second half of the movie. They go to LA instead of what are they? It's where are they? I know where it's going. So it was kind of, it got a little boring, but by hooking me in with this woman's plight, they did keep my interest. They did keep me locked in on an emotional level. And then also we, we get some stuff on the LA river, which is host to killer robots giant ants, anything in sci-fi goes there. Or 1950s car race. Yeah, or 1950s car race. They find a flying airplane model and they quickly figure out that's where the guy took his kids. They were going to go fly him in the morning. Oh, that was such a terrible story too because he works on Sundays. He works all the time and then he was taking oh his God. kids out before work to do stuff with them because he, he just wants to spend time with his kids. And I'm like, oh man, what a great guy. And that he has been ant food and his kids are probably dead too and I was like, oh it's killing me yeah it was harsh but they figure out that the tunnels the drainage tunnels are probably the ant holes the ants probably went in there and go hey these this is great this is a perfect setup for us so they decide they're gonna have to make a public announcement about the ants and that la is now under martial law and you get that announcement tv store People are gathered yep. <laughs> around the front of the TV store. So just like yep. we were talking about on The Hanging Stranger. It seems like if this were a modern movie, you'd have a lot of gigantic set pieces here. But instead, because of the scale of it, they kind of have to do it where it's at the end of the day, it's an it's some ants in a room with two kids. That's the big yeah. ending climax. And it feels yeah. like it should be bigger. They get some Jeeps, army guys. They go into the dr drainage tunnels. They actually find the two boys. And I was so happy. I thought they were dead for sure. But they're yeah. banging on some pipes, making a noise. And that's how they're able to find them. They can hear the, these kids banging around. But when they find the kids, there's some ants. Uh, Sergeant Peterson gets killed saving the boys. And I was like, whoa, I didn't expect yeah. them to kill him. Special Agent Graham, he gets cut off from the rest of the army guys and he has to fight some ants on his own. But eventually they break in, you know, they save him. Dr. Harold comes to the nest. He sees that there are two open queen eggs, but the queens are still there. So he says, yes, we got here in time. They did not escape. Burn it all. <laughs> yeah. You know, earlier in that interaction, I wrote down, you know, the sergeant's special skill is just that he likes children. He's going to try a little harder than anybody else to rescue these kids. Uh, but then yeah. right after that, there was a report from him where he says, it has the same smell down here as it has in New Mexico. That's how they know they're getting close to the ants. And then the guy goes, brood odor, he calls it. <laughs> It was like they needed to get that out there for the sequels or something. Uh, but it just like, I go, wait, no, he does have a second special skill, naming fragrances. There you I go. Was, uh, <laughs> brood odor. So Dr. Memphis offers a philosophical observation at the end. When man entered the atomic age, he opened the door to a new world. What we may eventually find in that new world, nobody can predict. Pretty heavy. I'm, I wonder what it really felt like at the time to watch this movie. I just, gosh, those like 10 years after those bombs dropped must have been so insanely frightening. 
Oh, yeah. We grew up in a Cold War hide under the desks because you might get bombed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that paranoia in the air in the in the 80s. But God, in the 1950s, with all the sunshiny happiness that's at the front, you know, there's like a sense that they're trying just a little too hard in the 50s. Yeah. To look like things are okay because there's yeah. just this simmering kind of sickness underneath that really comes across in these monster movies, which is why I love this kind of thing. It, it processes that kind of trauma in some interesting ways. Despite the fact that this movie's got cheesy giant ants, I think it's really good and really effective. Oh, yeah, it holds up. It's a, it's a solid movie. I always wrote it off as like a, you know, a stupid B movie, but it's it really isn't. Uh, they obviously had budgetary limitations with things. And like you said, they would probably, if this was made in a modern age, they would have a whole big scene where the ants are coming out and attacking Los Angeles. Exactly, yeah. And even but, the gentle ribbing I'm giving it for being from the 50s with the guy's attitude, it's not too much of that. There's a few moments where I do roll my eyes about the very misogynistic kind of nature of it. But they do cast a, a woman as a scientist. However, they don't give her anything to do. Really? No, but that's almost good because she's interested in the science and that's the end of it. The most she does to uh, to flirt with the FBI agent is she rides in the helicopter with him instead of her dad. But I imagine if they're, you know, a pair of doctors who are also father and daughter, she's just doing that to get away from him for a minute. You know? <laughs> she didn't Maybe. fall in love with this idiot FBI guy, which made no. me happy. You know, no, I was no, afraid was no... that was going to happen, but he was yeah. like ham fisted and dumb. So I didn't want that to happen for her. And it yeah. didn't. She was very yeah. like over everybody, which I... Yeah was pretty into. And also, I think that the way that everybody acted in there mirrors how it would have been to an extent in the real military of the 50s. So it, it wasn't like yeah. offensive or anything. When you look at the context of it, you got you to gotta kind yeah. of take those things into consideration. But I, I was surprised at how well this movie was made because I had really, I thought it was a laughable film and I was not laughing. Even when the ants showed mm. up, I just kind of go, man, eh, they're not great, but like you said, the, the first 10 minutes of it, I was hooked. That little girl walking in the desert with a broken doll, like, what is going on? This is creepy. This is genuinely horrific and nothing funny about it. And when the ants show up, then you're like, well, they're not great, but I forgive it immediately. It's something that I can only recognize. I wish I was personally better at doing it in a story, but... A lot of these things, when they set up the characters, you get that repetitive at home, at work, at play. This is the person's problems. This is takes you a while to warm up to them. And this movie, by putting you in, I mean, you take a plunge right in because you're Mm -hmm. so concerned about this child. And it serves the plot and it's logical and it's a great movie. Yeah, It's it's sort of a perfect movie of its type. And I would put it in there in the time capsule with Robin Hood from the 30s and just some things where I go, I think this is the best of this type of thing. We're all kind of doing versions of this. Now, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Tremors is a version of this. It's the so it's reskinning of this specific atomic age plot that they yeah. when they really resonate with people, these movies, they mm-hmm. are about something. And maybe the intent wasn't on purpose. You know, maybe the throw off line at the end about the atomic age was just to say, hey, guys, you know, I would have made this monster movie 10 years ago, but this is the age we're in. So I'm just referencing it. Mm. But I don't think so. And and, and that's why these things are so, such great social documents, because unintentionally, there's this paranoia in there. Unintentionally, they're showing you how they're feeling. There's a lot to this movie, uh, and it, it is definitely not the crappy B movie that I always thought it was. It was actually, There's a lot going on, and I really appreciate it as a film. That's it for our bonus content for this month. Hopefully you guys liked our coverage of this movie. If you did or didn't, let us know in the comments. This is yes. just for you special people at the higher level. You get this. The other chumps, they don't get nothing. They wouldn't get it even if they got it. We're better than that. 
Yeah, we've been going on for a while about this flick. We liked it a lot, and that's all we got for this month. We love science fiction craziness, and we'll definitely be circling back around to it. For now, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to HP Podcraft Bonus Content.